The world of construction is transforming before our eyes. How we design, plan, quantify and build is changing day to day. But it's never been so easy to connect, share, bring people together. Our industry is reshaping. So how do we develop relationships? How do we overcome our fears? How do we generate business? And how do we ultimately become the best version of ourselves? This is Need to Measure. I'm Mick Donaghy. My guest today is... On this episode of Made to Measure, we're joined by Andy Thompson. I love this episode. Andy shares a story from leaving school in Glasgow at 16 to entering the quantity surveying industry at a very young age. The story takes us from the world of PQS in Scotland to the Isle of Man in the UK, right through to being regional commercial manager of Hawkins Construction in New Zealand. Right now, Andy is the managing director of construction cost consultants who have three offices spread throughout New Zealand. This is a really interesting episode. I think Andy and myself could have talked all day. And although it was only supposed to be 30 minutes long, putting an Irish man and a Scottish man together, of course, it ended up nearly an hour. Andy adds so much value to the industry, and this is just a snippet of his story. I really hope you enjoy it. Hi, Andy. Andy Thompson. How's it going? I'm good. I'm good yourself. Yeah, I'm good, mate. Can you introduce yourself to, to our audience? As I never feel like I can, I can do it justice. Yep. Uh, my name's Andy Thompson. I'm the Managing Director of Construction Cost Consultants. Excellent. So Andy, so you, you guys are, are based in, in New Zealand. You were describing to me you, you've been operating there for about 10 years. Is that right? Yeah, I set the business up November 2010. Mm-hmm. I worked for one of the big corporate um, the tier one contractors here. I was a regional commercial director for them a few years and decided that I wanted to, oh, I decided that the quantities of beers that were getting given to me weren't good enough. They weren't mm-hmm. qualified enough. Um, and I thought I could do it better myself and, and supply quantities of beers into the market more in the, in the um, contracting side than where I've ended up. Excellent, excellent. So well, I'm pretty interested in, in going back to, to the start of your career, Andy, and find out uh, as to the reasons why you, you entered the industry. I guess um, I can hear, obviously, that you're, you're not originally from, from New Zealand, so there, there's definitely a journey been involved there. So why, why did you join the, the construction industry? And, and namely, why, why, why did you become a quantity surveyor, Andy? There's a couple of stories around that. There's one that um, I left school at 16 which people generally do in, in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, there wasn't many people went to university. Couldn't afford it. We had to go and earn money. So I left school at 16, um, and my father said that I could leave school only if I had a job. Mm-hmm. So I went to the professional practices in Glasgow. I didn't know what quantity of it was. Mm-hmm. I went door knocking with my, my wedding suit. As <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I went door knocking and one guy gave me a chance and said, I went for a job as an office junior. Mm-hmm. And he said, you come into my door and asking me for a job, you're much better than an office junior. And said, would you like to be a quantity surveyor? And that's how it happened. It was just sheer fluke. 
Yeah. So what, what does it mean was? And, and here I am 30 years later doing yeah. the same thing. <laughs> you, need, you, need to, you need to send that man a letter and say thanks or, uh, or, or no thanks. <laughs> um, for years and years. Um, and I put, uh, I, he mentored me for seven years. Mm-hmm. And the, there was a big recession in the early 90s in, in the UK. And, and they literally paid off 90% of the staff. Mm-hmm. Kept me on, not because I was great, it was because I was probably the cheapest person in the office. Mm-hmm. And I ended up becoming his right hand. And mm-hmm. I learned so much by working alongside him and, and basically coffee runs for him, meeting people that I would never ever have met, which helped me later on when I eventually when I moved out of Scotland and came back. It really helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, coming into that market at the level I and I was a lot younger than the guys that were at higher levels because of the introductions that he had given me. Excellent. And what what were the opportunities like in, in, in those days for, for quantity surveyors? Honestly, I don't actually know because I didn't know what one was. When I was at school, it was you join the forces or you become a tradesman. I had a summer job working on a um, plant on building sites. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like tinkering with engines and things like that. So my friend's dad owned a plant company and him and I would go and work the holidays and, and on building sites working on diggers and things like that, which was fun. Excellent, excellent. It's, uh, it's That's the classic sort of uh, Scottish, Irish work ethic. You have to work every, 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 every living day of, of your life. Well, so bad. <laughs> <laughs> My old man's a plumber. He he uh, he he's he, he's made me do a lot of labouring throughout my years. Eight or eight or nine years old, out helping him sh- shift mud out out in out in out in Ireland when it was supposed to be summer, but it was lashing from the heavens. But no, that, that that's quite interesting. So you, so you mentioned that you didn't actually study to become a, a quantity surveyor. Is is that right, Andy? I didn't. I didn't study at the time. Graham McDonald, who was the guy that took me on, he pushed me to go through, go to what was called Glasgow College of Building. Then it's now called uh, Caledonia University. So I went there. He pushed me to go there. They paid for me to go there. Mm-hmm. And back then there was this thing called a youth training scheme. So the government paid for me to train. I got twenty-seven pound fifty a week. Nice. And my travel and my travel paid for. Um, I had a part-time job as well as a, a lifeguard swimming, and um, I made a hundred pound a week doing that, and I made twenty-seven fifty, and that was part-time, and I made yeah. fifty being a QS. Yeah, um, <laughs> tempting to stop being a QS a lot of the time, um, but luckily I didn't because I was looking more to the future than than I was that instant gratification. Yeah. And so, what what were the main learnings for you, for you then within your your first first few years of quantity surveying? And what um, it was more, uh, I, I listened a lot. Uh, I, I I do. I sap a lot of information from people, and and I, and I retain it. I'm very good at retaining information. Um, and the just how process driven quantity surveying is. Mm-hmm. It's all about process, and it took me a long time. I did, when I look back now, I realise that at the time um, I didn't realise it was. I was in awe of it, and I was learning everything new, and everything was different. Um, and learning construction process is a is a hard thing to learn when you're sitting on at a desk. Whether one a better one, you're sitting there and you're doing takeoffs from drawings, or you're putting bills of quantities. Bills of quantities are 
are um, added a post on LinkedIn about Bills of Quantities and how they're not using them anymore over in, in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, bills of Quantities used to be six six inches, I would say, and they'd be 200 mil thick mm-hmm. uh, with specifications and everything measured on a job. And that was something that really, I, I, I really enjoyed going through those Bills of Quantities and, mm-hmm. and detailing everything that was on the drawings. That's a part of the job I really enjoyed. So how, how did you learn that? Was someone actually sitting there with you teaching you how to produce a bill of quantities? Initially it was in the office. I get put under a, a guy called Russell Barkley. He was from a very well-to-do family. Yeah. Um, and so I was just this wee guy, but he actually took to me, which, which because I, I mean, I didn't speak the same as these guys. Mm-hmm. These guys all, uh, they were all university students. They were all from well-to-do families in very good parts of Glasgow. I wasn't. Mm-hmm. So my, my accent's changed so much since I started Quantity's event. The, the learning, the techniques, and I went to college uh, and we taught a lot at college how to do it, mm-hmm. but nothing better learning on, on, on the job and doing it in the office mm-hmm. and being given a set of plans and told to um, do a takeoff of all the ceilings or do a takeoff. And then learning, if you do a takeoff of the ceilings, what other items you can get from that measure. Mm-hmm. So you can get the floors, you can get perimeters, you can get so there's so much other things you can get from one takeoff and learning all that stuff was was pretty cool. So do do you think that back in those days or even in today's terms that that having a mentor and learning on the job is nearly better in some ways than and going through that that tertiary qualification? I think when you get to my age uh, the length of time that I've been in it, it doesn't make any difference. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was younger, I would have a lot. When I was 20, when I had been four years doing it, I would have the, the guys coming out of the university and coming out of the practice and, and telling me what to do because they thought that, that they had been to university and I hadn't mm-hmm. um, until the senior partner told them that they would be working under me and I would be teaching them what to do. And that's it. I made me, and he would boost me all the time because it was tough for me being in a totally different environment from what mm. I was doing. Yeah. These guys drank, um, these guys drank beer and champagne. <laughs> what, 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 what did you drink? <laughs> Anything I could get my hands on. <laughs> Some Buckfast, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. No, never tried that. Never tried that. Uh, you never want to. That's the worst. No, so that, that that's quite that's quite interesting. So you were essentially maybe not managing, but you were overseeing those actually coming from university, even though that you you hadn't went through that route. Yeah, yeah, uh, because I was, and I found it a lot better. And and I would say I would highly recommend somebody working well at uni. Mm-hmm. Do a couple of years at uni, and then go and get a job and do your course part time. Yeah, and be learning on the job. You see, I, I, this is something that I'm. I find quite interesting because when I recruited in, in Ireland um, in the UK, they, they'd done a sandwich degree. So they'd done four years and, and one year of mm. uh, was, was in placement. And then your final year was usually part-time. So you're graduating with your, your qualification and 18 months experience. So you're a little bit more useful to, to, the, to the industry at that point, as opposed to coming onto the market with a hundred other students and, and no one having any experience. 
that's a course that was offered in Glasgow as well. I didn't do that one, obviously. I worked part-time. I did a part-time course all the way through. Mm-hmm. I had no qualifications at all when I left school. Mm-hmm. Um, I hated school. I just didn't fit. School wasn't the right place for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's very hard to tell my 20 and 22-year-old kids that now when I'm telling them at <laughs> <in> university. Yeah. <laughs> But because uh, they just throw it back at me, it wasn't a place for me. It wasn't a good learning environment for me. Mm-hmm. But working was a good learning environment for me. Mm-hmm. But I knew I had to still get the qualifications to be able to get some respect and actually pick up work when I was older. I was always looking at when in five, ten years ahead of myself, where am I going to be? What do I need? What do I need? And looking at the people around me and saying, what's my pathway to get to where they are? You mentioned that you had a mentor. For, for seven years, how valuable was that to you then? Huge value. Um, the Graham McDonald, as I mentioned, he passed away uh, uh, about 15, 16, maybe 17 years ago. I, I loved the guy. Uh, he took me into his family. I was part of his family. He would let me stay at his house. He lived in Edinburgh and I lived in Glasgow. So, <clears throat> and he was from a, a very, um, he was very well off to me. He was very well off. But he just took me under his wing and, and he introduced me to people I would never have met. Mm-hmm. Uh, he introduced me to rugby. I never had never been to a rugby game in my life. Yeah. Up, we know is football. Yeah. Uh, um, just things like that. It just the guy, not just in work, he was a, a life mentor for he became like a father figure to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I loved the guy. He was mm-hmm. an amazing man. So I think a mentor to any young student find one find one that you like and and always just ask them every question i could think of mm-hmm. how, how, how do you feel because you know, men- mentoring right now is is kind of like a trendy topic in, in some ways you know like so every, everyone wants to be a coach or or, yeah. or or mentor someone and you know someone has a year's worth of experience and all of a sudden they're they're coaching people online in terms of someone who's maybe graduated or, or, or come out of school and is looking for a mentor, do you, is it, do you think the, the old traditional door knocking, getting your food for the door is the best way? Or how, how do you think you go about it? I don't think you find a mentor or a mentor finds you. I think you find each other. Mm. Um, I never asked Graham McDonald to be my mentor. He never asked to be my, to be my mentor. It just happened. Yeah. I've got guys that work for me and I've got guys that, that um, live in the UK that work for me and, and they tell me that I mentored them mm-hmm. uh, and they look at me as a mentor and, and they do still come and ask me questions. Mm-hmm. I've got a guy that worked for me uh, here in New Zealand and, and moved back with his family to um, Dublin mm-hmm. and he still phones me and asks me questions and he tells me that I'm his mentor. I don't realise that um, and, and I think that's the best way for it to be. Yeah. To be comfortable to ask me questions and I actually don't and I bet you Graham McDonald never seen himself as a mentor to me. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, get, I get, I get, I get what, you, I get what you mean, and that makes a lot of sense. You know, like I do, th- I do think that people might put too much pressure on themselves trying to find someone to actually be a mentor. But when you start putting definitions around it, it, it maybe yeah. doesn't have that sort of naturalness that you may have, may have well, had. Um, you won't be as open with each other. Mm. Um, but these guys, I've got guys that have worked for me over over the lifespan of my career that phone me and ask me questions about things and still they're running businesses and they'll phone me and ask me questions. Mm-hmm. What, what would you do with this? Or what do you think about this scenario? And, I, and I'll just honestly tell them what I think and they'll go, that's what I was thinking. I thought you would say that and then just move on. And even if it's once a year, just for them to know that you're there is, is, is important for them. Yeah. I don't yeah. think 
the door knocking and actually having a physical mentor. And I hear it all the time. Will you be my mentor? Will you do this? Will you be this? And I, I, I don't accept to be anybody's mentor because I don't think you can do it like that, a strict scenario. Because you can talk to your mentor all the time. Uh, I would rather, I would, I would rather if I had a mentee, I would have, rather they work for me. Yeah. And they see how I operate all the time. It's not just about being a QS. It's about being a manager. It's about how you deal with clients. It's about how how you are as a person as well. It's not just about work. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. So what, what took you then from, from Glasgow to, to New Zealand? I actually moved from Glasgow to Isle of Man uh, All right. five years. And I worked for a company called Jarvis over there. And then I set up my own building company. I had that for five years and then moved back to Glasgow again. And um, we had a wee bit of money. And so we were there for five years. And my, my wife at the time, decided that we needed to get out of Glasgow and bring the kids up somewhere else a bit better than Glasgow. So we moved to New Zealand. Um, it was as simple as that. Yeah, what did, what, what did you do? Did you just throw a, a dart at the, the world map? or what, 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 I, think she did. I think she did. <laughs> no, I, had, I had been offered jobs in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been offered jobs in, um, in the Middle East. I had been offered jobs in Canada and down here. And my wife put a lot of effort into find out with different places and then sent me away mm-hmm. uh, to do interviews and said, you're the only one that can get us in. So yeah. you go to the interviews and yeah. um, I came down to New Zealand first and uh, for a week and I had a week's worth of interviews. By the Wednesday, I had done nine interviews and had eight offers. I decided I'm not going for any more and I ended up going to the pub for the rest of the week. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's- not, 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 not a bad way to end of the week after all, all, all those offers, I suppose. Um, <laughs> and the, um, the company I ended up working for, I ended up drinking with a guy who, he phoned me and said, where are you? I said, I'm about to go for a beer. And he said, oh, I'll come and catch up with you. Mm-hmm. And he talked me into going and working for him. Oh, really? So he did... a contract with him and, uh, and come and working for him. And, and funny thing is, is he's now my business partner. <laughs> it's amazing how things work, isn't it? You know, um, I when I when I when I moved over to New Zealand, I essentially I I, d- I didn't think I was going to move. I was just thought I was traveling through for a year, and I was thinking, you know, I, I might go backpacking. You know, I might just get an easy job. Then I remember I I, I jumped on the bus. I think I was going from uh, Airbnb up in um, the North Shore down Ooh. into the city. And the bus cost me like ten bucks or something like that. And I just remembered, there's no way. I can survive here. I need to get a. I need to get a real job, and then it ended up the same sort of thing. Ended up in first interview is now my business partner. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting how things things work out, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so I worked for them for a few years when I came here. They were moving from a small time um, subcontractor, concrete subcontractor, very good, one of the best in the country, um, into more main contracting, and they had picked up a big contract for about. Uh, well, 15 years ago I moved here, so it was about 75 million, 100 million dollar job. They hadn't done that before, so they brought me somebody like me in to run the money. They had an excellent project manager on it, so him and I worked really well together and, and made it work. And they kept offering me all these different QSs to work with me, and mm-hmm. I couldn't understand it. Uh, and so I kept saying, No, no, I can handle it, I can do it myself, I can do it yeah. myself. But then I realized that it was a big thing here. You would have five QSs on a building site. 
Mm. And I was like, what, what, are they, what are these other guys doing? Yeah, yeah. what, what are they doing? <laughs> it's that we had a site next door to us and we had to build a joint roadway and we had said we would do it on our site and, um, the, and I said, so I'll talk to you at QS and the project manager said, oh, that'll be Jimmy, he does all the roads and things. He's the other QS. I said, how many QS have you got? We've got five QSs. And I said, your job's half the size of ours. Yeah. And that started to teach me that QSM wasn't big in New Zealand. And that's yeah. when I started to realise. When I came here, I was looked at as a, a, just a necessary evil mm. um, to look after the money. And, and people would call you that. Yeah. Um, and, and it made me realise that, that quantity surveying was very... In its infancy, I would say here at the time. Yeah. So the, the the demand at that point, even though there there may have been a bit a, a bit of pushback and, and reluctance, but there must have been a, a phenomenal demand for there QSs. Was demand, huge demand for QSs. So I I stayed at them for about two years, and and then the tier one contractor had a commercial director working for them who used to work for me in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a. Uh, it was a subcontractor for me in the UK and he came and approached me and said, what are you doing working there? You need to come. You're not just a senior QS. You yeah. need to come and work for us. And six months later, um, after a lot of persuasion, and um, I ended up going and working for them. It gave me a lot of exposure, but um, I didn't enjoy it as much as working on site. I miss working on site. So what... At that point, how many years did uh, experience did you have in, in in your career, Andy? It must have been fifteen yeah. years. Yeah, I would have been fifteen years in. Um, so I, I did seven years as a PQS when I started, mm-hmm. um, which gave me the best grounding that I mm-hmm. could ever pass for. And I didn't get paid as much as my mates that were working for contractors, mm-hmm. but I could tell you a lot more about construction contracts and and um, buildology and things like that mm-hmm. than they could. So I then moved into contracting, which I did for, uh, I don't know, seven years again, seven, eight years, mm-hmm. and then moved here and I've done contracting until I set this business up 10 years ago. So mm-hmm. that was, uh, then when I moved to the tier one contractor, I was probably 17 years experience. And, uh, and so at what point in your career did you become a, did you become a senior? Because I know that's become a, another bit of a, Bone of contention now that you're you've got four years experience and and, and now you're a, a senior. You know what, what what point did you actually become a senior? In, in my eyes, uh, yeah. in my eyes, um, probably about ten years. Mm-hmm. Ten years experience. Yeah, I, I think that, that 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 makes sense, doesn't it? Because for the first three years, you're just wetting your feet, learn. really. Yeah, um, and I'm still I still learn. Mm-hmm. I, I thrive to learn things every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I learn things from my um, cadets that I've got in the office, mm-hmm. and I always make a point of telling them, "You've taught me something new today." Yeah, um, and, and and that gives them a buzz. You can see them walking about like cock of the north when I tell them. <laughs> that's that's them. That's them a senior now. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, and I, I did a, a, another article on LinkedIn about the process, and it was very very clear when I was younger what the process was to get to the next level. So you become a, you're a junior QS and that's what we called them. And that's what I was called. And then you become a quantity surveyor. Then you become a senior QS. Mm-hmm. Then you become a commercial manager or whatever that. But you could be a senior QS for your whole life. Mm-hmm. You, there isn't, you don't automatically move. So 
there's some guys that I've worked with, are the best senior QSs I've ever met, and mm-hmm. they couldn't move on to the next role. Yeah. And there's some guys that will be QSs and they'll never move on to the next role. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not an automatic thing, and it seems to be an automatic thing now. If yeah. you've got five years' experience, you're the senior QS. That's not how I look at it. Yeah, that, that's quite interesting, actually, um, because at, we're at the cold face of that, you know, and, and we're, we're dealing with candidates who, who, who'll come, you know, may apply for a job or we reach out to and, and they say, you know, we've got six years experience, so I'm, I'm now senior level. Mm. I want senior responsibility or, or, or maybe and a lot of the times not the responsibility, but I want the salary, you know, quite interesting that maybe sort of traditionally there were QSs who, who just stayed as QSs and were great at that and had their role within the business, but that doesn't seem to be there anymore. No, and, and they call it in New Zealand, I don't know what, what they would call it in, in Australia, but they call it here an intermediate QS. Mm-hmm. If you're an intermediate on your way to becoming a senior, and, and not everybody will become a senior QS. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, that's not, that wasn't the case, but it seems to be the case now. If you've got tenure, you become a senior QS. It's actually about experience and ability, mm-hmm. uh, and that makes you become a senior QS, not tenure. Because mm-hmm. uh, you get the guy that's telling you that he's got six years and thinks he's a senior QS, could be sort of sitting doing nothing. He could have been sitting filing for the six years that he's been on the big site. Yeah. Um, and, and shadowing a, a QS. Uh, we just don't know. And, and I don't look at that. I ask some uh, pertinent questions to them and, and, and make them tell me where they think they sit. Mm-hmm. I, I, I also say that a lot of people are getting paid senior QS wages that aren't senior QSs, mm-hmm. and that's okay. I get that and understand that. If the part of the business that they're working for, it really works for, mm-hmm. and they're actually making money for that business. But these businesses need to understand this poor guy is going to move on somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And if he's not getting the training and he's not getting the backup or other right mentors looking after him, he's going to leave and, and he's going to be out in the wilderness because he's not at the level that he's getting paid. Yeah. So he ends up being commercially stuck where he is and he ends up being there for 20 years because he just can't get the money elsewhere and he hasn't they're not helping him get the experience he's becoming a pseudo expert in their business yeah no i i i understand completely what what you're saying and it's quite it's quite interesting that you mentioned a little bit earlier that the working for a pqs stood you in in, in really good standing in, in, in the long term because a lot of the time when I'm recruiting for say contractors mm. a lot of the time that they would be a little bit more you know standoffish with, with, with a PQS how, how do you feel that working for a PQS benefited you in, 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 in that respect? Um, just the knowledge the knowledge that again the intricacy of details dealing with clients doing exactly what they wanted understanding contract to fully and understanding bills quantities mm-hmm. and, and construction detail. But I, I wouldn't say that everybody's suited to be a contractor mm-hmm. uh, and everybody's not suited to be a, a PQS. If you put me in a room with any QS, I could tell you right away whether they're a contractor or a PQS. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there's a lot of QSs listening to this, they'll know exactly what I mean. And yeah. if you've been in this industry for 10 years, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. I can sit in a room and I can tell you instantly if that guy's suited to be a PQS. Yeah, no, I, it, it's, it's, quite, it's quite interesting how you can tell. And I'm not too sure what it is. 
but there's, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's, cer- there's certainly, I think, I think the roles are, are and, and I don't know, cause I'm not, and I'm not an expert. I'm not a quantity surveyor, but when I'm looking at, at PQSs that, and, and when I'm looking at contractor QSs, you know, both equally great in, in what they do, but just slightly different, you know, just, just, there's a little bit of a, a slight bit of difference for you now. So you've went, have you went full circle now, Andy, you know, you're back working as a, PQS, yeah. PQS. I, I, I'm not your standard PQS. I'm not your general. I'm, I, I really enjoy the contracting side of it, and I miss that side of it. We're not a proper PQS practice. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of work for main contractors and contractors as well. Mm-hmm. And we do a lot of PQS in as well. So we're sort of a mixed bag because of my background more than anything. And I like guys to all have a bit of a mixed bag. The difference that I see is um, a contractor is, is more of a broker. Mm-hmm. He's a negotiator, he's a hard nosed negotiator, mm-hmm. but he needs to know what he's negotiating. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at the, he's, he's skimming it and he's not knowing the detail. He's not, he doesn't need to know the detail. The PQS will know all the detail about everything that he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not a very good negotiator. Uh, and, and, and he's usually, and, and he's, he'll think he is, and he's, He's hard faced and he'll be stripped down the line. Everything's black and white for him. Mm-hmm. Now, this is just my. <laughs> yeah, no, this isn't. This isn't gospel. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> there'll be there'll be a lot of PQSs out there saying, "No, oh, well, you, you you don't you don't know me. I'm a good I'm a good negotiator." I am a good negotiator. A lot of our clients ask me to go and negotiate for them mm-hmm. for big contracts. And I am a good negotiator because I like to understand what's going on, and, I, and I'm pretty fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that—that's what makes a good QS for a contractor a good QS. And he gets the respect, and he gets to move on. Mm-hmm. And he gains the respect of all his subcontractors and his bosses by being fair. Firm mm-hmm. but fair makes you a really good QS. Mm-hmm. For a PQS, it's all about detail. Yeah. I remember when I was starting my career in in in, in quantity surveying, and I had a, a firm, and they're a big, big, big company doing a lot of fit out work in in London. And I remember asking the the commercial manager, you know, what what makes a good QS? And they, they, these were these were contractors, and, and he said to me, I want them to screw down the subbies as much as possible, but yeah. for them to still be friends, uh, still still be friendly. Do do you agree with that, or is that changed since then? I don't agree with screwing down the subcontractors. I don't yeah. think that's the right way. Uh, but I do understand what he's said. And he's yeah. basically said what I've just said is, I want you to be fair with them. And I want, you, I want everything to be, I want you to be friends, which means you've got to be fair. Yeah. But you've got to be sure of what you're doing with them. You've got to be 100% sure of what you're doing with them. Um, subcontractors, big subcontractors are getting bloody good QSs involved. Yeah. And they know what they're doing. So yeah, if you've got a really good QS on the other side, it makes things so much easier. Yeah. And then we get people saying, oh, oh the QS is rubbish, we'll we'll ride them round the park. Mm-hmm. We'll make money off them. And I go, Well, that's even worse because he's going to think that he's great and he's going to sit there and he's going to argue every every dollar. Whereas I, I don't argue about stuff that's under a thousand dollars, take it. Yeah, it's all relative to the jobs. I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and argue with money for two hours when it's going to cost us all more than that to sit around the table and do it. Yeah, uh, you've got to get to that that point of understanding when it's good, and that that's the the, the contractors QS part of it. Um, they all think they're a bit 
I don't know if there's a word that you know, but they all think they're a bit gallus and think that the best, the best QS. Every PQ, every contractor's QS thinks he's the best QS in the world. Yeah, it's quite funny. I've got so many friends who are contractor QSs, and uh, it's going to be so good when they hear this because um, <laughs> they're 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 from ireland and scotland and all as well and they they think that they're just making so much money for the saving so much money for their companies yeah. and they're the best negotiators I, in the I, world and I, feel that, and I don't actually think a qs saves money for the company mm. so i think all they're there to do is to maintain money mm-hmm. so there's a budget at the start and they're there to maintain that budget mm-hmm. uh, if that budget goes up or down if it goes down yep they're going to get the uh, uh, and I had this conversation with a, a client of ours the other month there, and I said to him, if you guys don't know where you're making money, it's as bad as losing money. Mm. Because you're just on the lucky side of it, and the guys are just scattergunning and they're making money. So, yeah, I, I, I hear it all the time from DQSs, how great they are and how much money they're making. They're not there to make, to make money. The job's already made money. Mm-hmm. They've won it, and it's then they're there to maintain the budget, and they might have to manoeuvre money around the job and smooth the money around from one contractor to another. One will lose money, one will make money. It's about the overall end, and I think that's more what they're for than, than making money. They don't make money on the building site, but they'll save money. So you, you, you mentioned, Andy, that you started the career, your, your career during a recession uh, or during a sort of a, a downturn anyway. Obviously, with COVID-19 and everything that's happened, um, how, how do you feel that this will, will affect the industry moving forward in, in New Zealand anyway? At, at the moment, it's very buoyant. We're a bit different from everybody else because we, we had a lot of big jobs that finished in February, mm-hmm. uh, January, February. We had new big jobs starting in March, mm-hmm. which didn't start. Yeah, uh, which put us in a pretty tricky position. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've—it's we, probably given us a four-month lull of work, uh, and our big jobs start back again in mm-hmm. a couple of months' time. Two of them are not going to happen, but three of them are, are definitely kicking off. So we've got other bits and pieces that have gone on, which mm-hmm. are saved this time. I'm hearing from big concrete manufacturers here saying we're absolutely jammed at the moment, but come September, I've no work. Mm. Um, and we're hearing that from a lot of the main contractors um, that they've not worked. So we're getting a lot of phone calls about work that we they know that we've got. So the jobs that we are picking up are two or three years long. Mm-hmm. But they're hoping we'll see them through that, that recession that everybody's expecting to come. Uh, my, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And I, I don't think anybody knows what's going on. People are spending a lot of money at the moment on cars and and houses and things like that. There's a lot of spending going on at the moment, and in New Zealand there is. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I don't know. I think New Zealand itself will become a, a an attractive investment place for people. Yeah. Um, because it's safe. Yeah. Um, and I think we'll see a lot of other investment coming in. Uh, we're talking to somebody about building the tallest tower in, in Auckland at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've already from China, and they've got the hotel person that's going to take part of the hotel mm-hmm. and the rest of its apartments. But they're still going ahead and talking to us. So there's some, there is some big jobs. I think everybody's panicking at the moment, and there's some good pricing in the market from builders. Mm-hmm. Do Do you feel is there a lot of undercutting going on, or is it is it still quite steady in in that respect, or? 
No, I, I, there's a lot of undercutting going on at the moment. People yeah. are buying work. Um, they're buying work to, to retain their staff and, and do stuff like that at the moment. We've yeah. seen that. We're, I'm advising clients. We've got a couple of uh, student accommodation blocks that are going up and they get put on hold, but they're all cracking on now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I advise the client to build them now because when they're ready in two years' time, mm-hmm. we're all going to be back flying around and, and be back again, hopefully. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be around doing stuff again, so we're going to be ready for it. Mm-hmm. And then if you keep pausing it, and I said, now's the time to go and negotiate with your contractors. Mm-hmm. So I think now's the time to build stuff. If you've got the money, now's the time to build it. Yeah, no, that, that's 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 quite interesting, you know, because you, you, it, it seems like the perfect time to build, doesn't? You know, it, it would make it would it would make sense anyway, you know. But I know it's not that easy for for a lot of companies, and yeah. it's, there's a lot of sort of variables in in place. But one thing I wanted to, to touch on as well is that we mentioned yesterday when we were briefly chatting, and you you're you're quite sort of um, vocal on on social media, um, <laughs> which is quite different from the the typical quantity surveyor out there yeah. how's that benefited you or or has it benefited you in, in, in any ways it's been it's been really good for me a lot of pent up discussions and things like that <laughs> i put on, on on linkedin yeah um, and, and it gets a lot of, we get a lot of traction on it uh-huh. and i've had calls from uh, some of the biggest companies ceos in construction and big um, developers have contacted me. One of the biggest of uh, the biggest the architects, engineers, and one of these the guy that the CEO of that business, the biggest one in New Zealand, contacted me to catch up for a coffee mm-hmm. and just chat. So yeah, I've put my neck on the line on a lot of it, but I actually believe in what I'm saying, uh, and I, I've been doing it for thirty years, and and I want people. It's always good for people to question it as well and mm-hmm. other people. But a lot of the stuff I'm putting up, or I've got QS's message. I've got QS's messaging me privately saying, "I really agree with what you're saying, but I can't say anything because I work for this company." Yeah, uh, and and this is what's happening there, and, and so we I get a lot of that, um, and a lot of the a lot I like the comments that people are making. Mm-hmm. I always try and answer them and, and come back to them on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'll pull my hand off if I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Let's try this different way and look at different wings. But the stuff I'm saying are things that people are getting frustrated. Mm. Has, uh, has it benefited you anyway in terms of attracting people to work for your business? Yeah, well, uh, I get uh, I get a bundle of CVs every day in my inbox. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> well, that's, that's quite interesting though because you know instead of relying on someone like myself or you know, just relying on, on maybe advertising on, on one of the job yeah. boards. If this is a different way of, of attracting talent by creating conversation. I actually never, I never thought of it like that, but um, I, I'm not short of uh, QSs applying for jobs. I can mm. tell you that at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it is um, people wanting to work with somebody that's got some ethics and some idea of what, what they're wanting from, from the business. And, and anybody who works for me, I, I'll give them direction. Yeah, and that's my job is to give them direction, and, and it's and it's straight direction. It's not oh, well, if you want to do this or do that. This is this is this is the basis of why I think it is. Mm-hmm. You can take route A or B, but as long as you get to C, I'm happy with it, and that's the way I am with the guys. And I think people see that from what I, what I am putting up. Do Do you think there's an opportunity for quantity surveyors or cost planners? to develop a sort of personal brand on, on, on the likes of, say, LinkedIn, but not 
sort of rubbing up their employers the wrong way. That's yeah. always the difficulty, isn't it? It is. It is. And, and I'm in a lucky position that I own the business. So yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe my wife will, but yeah, yeah. she does tell me, no, I don't think you should put that up sometimes. Oh, I get that a lot as well. Yeah. It's good. It's good to have a filter every now and again, though, because sometimes that a, a good, a, a, what I think's a good idea, that's a terrible idea. Yeah. Oh, that's that. Uh, it takes me about for any of the posts I put up. Honestly, it takes me about a week before I, I actually put it up. I tweak yeah. it, and uh, every day I'll sit and I'll spend twenty minutes just rereading it and rereading it, and then it'll go up the following week. Yeah. Uh, but to answer your question about do I think it is good? I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it is until they get to a certain level. Yeah, or senior level. I think at a, a junior level, and I say junior, I mean QS and, and junior QS is once you get to a senior level and you're actually maybe working on a big job. Yes, put talk about the job you're working on. Tell them how great it is. Mm-hmm. Um, people are scared to tell people they've made mistakes. I'm not mm-hmm. because I would no way would I be where I am today if I hadn't made a lot of mistakes and it's cost me money. Yeah, I learn very very quickly when you're your own cash. People are scared to do that and tell their bosses they've made a mistake. And that's why I'm saying wait until you get to a senior level and you've actually got some experience and, and you're happy and comfortable with yourself, that you're comfortable to tell people that you've done this and you've done that and, and be questioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I get, get your back up about people asking questions about what you're doing. Yeah, I do get my back up sometimes about it, mm-hmm. but I go away and I think about it and then I'll come back the next day and I'll answer. And I'll go, no, I see actually where he's coming from. You just got to think about it. It's having that experience and, and um, just the years behind you to be able to think about why and say what they're saying. Yeah, that, that, that that's, um, it resonates quite, quite a bit, uh, Andy, because um, when I started in recruitment, you know, my, my first job, we, we, we literally didn't even have an email address. We were given cards to ring, you know, so you didn't, you didn't even have a computer that you could use yeah. LinkedIn for. So, um, but yeah, I think it, it's it's super important to get your experience within within the, the the industry, and if it's eight or nine, ten years before you're even writing LinkedIn posts or, yeah. or giving your comment on something, you've kind of got to warrant that in in some ways, yeah. as opposed to I have a lot of um me sort of younger graduates who are coming in asking about what sort of content they should be putting out there, and it's. In a lot of ways, it's about building your network and your knowledge before doing that. And I, and I would suggest that they follow some influencers that, that are in QS, and there is there is some people that are putting some really good stuff up. Mm-hmm. Uh, follow them and read it, and actually comment on them. And if you think it's a good post, tell them. Mm-hmm. They'll learn from that, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's I think that's important for them to do as well. I um, I wouldn't recommend they go and start. Telling everybody that um, QS is way behind where it should be and things like that, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't recommend that um, because, to be honest, I would just look at it and go, "You don't know, you've not done it." Yeah. Someone yeah. said to me recently in, in Australia and, and probably similar to in, in New Zealand that when when you're successful, you, you have to gallop on the grass, mm. and and that kind of that kind of sort of really sort of resonated with me in terms of no one wants to to hear you showboating or no one wants to see any of that you know learn your learn your trade do your job and be humble about it yeah, not, not going to question the industry you know yeah i would i i do question the industry a lot because mm-hmm. i want context of surveyors to be better yeah and um, i don't think we're doing a good job for our clients and i don't think we're doing a good job for the for the contractors 
because I don't think Quantic Surveyors are as good as they should be. Mm-hmm. And I think they're being promoted above where they should be. And, and I, I can imagine what your people that are looking for jobs are going to say that I don't know what I'm talking about. But it's their benefit what I'm doing. It's for them that I'm, I'm standing up and saying, I've got the, the head of the New Zealand Institute of Quantic Surveyors commenting on my stuff and saying, yeah, we support you, Andy. We think this is good. Mm-hmm. I've got that ICS supporting what I'm doing. And, well, no, they're not doing it in writing because they never would. But I'm speaking to people at their office and they're saying, yeah, we totally agree with what you're saying. We need to, and I'm saying, well, we need to help people get mentors. We need to train them and, and get them forward. Mm-hmm. So final question then, Andy, what, what, what are you looking forward to in, in the future? Quantic surveying or construction related? I'm looking forward to selling up and moving on. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to go to another remote island, I guess, going from the, the Isle of Man. Uh, was it Isle of Man or Isle of Wight? Isle of, Isle of Man, I lived on. Isle of Man, then, then New Zealand. Where, where's next? Um, I don't know. Um, my, my wife and I are enjoying being here. My kids are 20 and 22. My, my son's over in the States, plays football over there, and, and my daughter's at uni here, so I'll hang about with them for a bit. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I like the role I've got at the moment, and I like where I am. I, mm-hmm. Can I see myself being here in 10 years? No, I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to get involved in, in maybe one of the big, the big groups, the big, mm-hmm. one of the big corporate groups. I'm probably not a corporate sort of person, mm-hmm. but I would like to get involved in one of them because I think they've got a lot of power in helping change QS and going forward. I think that there's a young boy sitting in his office Mm-hmm. That only, and, and I've got a post that I'm putting up on Monday um, and a lot of people will, will be quite angry about it because it's about BIM, which I think has been around for 20 years now and, mm-hmm. and, and there'll be some boy sitting in his room or girl sitting writing code to beat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we as an industry, I think we're very slow in, in, in getting there. So it shows that BIM's been about for 20 years and that's the, the best technology we've got in our industry. Mm-hmm. It's not very good, and and I would like to be involved in in trying to pull the industry forward and, and getting a bit of a leaving a bit of legacy for myself. Yeah, and I'm not going to do that with this business. This business, we I opened a whole new industry up for us in the insurance industry, which we didn't have. QSs didn't work doing what we were doing, and I opened that whole industry up. So I will leave a bit of a legacy there, but I want to do it for QSs in a world. Mm-hmm. I can't do something like that. I really, really enjoy doing that. And I think that's super important as well, that there are people like you who want to help develop quantity surveying as an industry, as opposed to you know, continuing on doing what you're doing for the next 20 years or whatever it might be and, 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 and not having that sort of legacy. Because that's what, you know, 30 years ago, when, when you knocked that door and someone ended up becoming your mentor, you know, ultimately, if you're able to give that back, you're potentially bringing in yeah. a new wave. Yeah, and, and that's what that's what I, that's what I would love to do. I mean, I'd love to build an I be involved in building an IC, a big iconic world job. Mm-hmm. Um, I did work on a job that won World Building of the Year, but I, I would love to do something like that, but at more at a higher level and, and bringing people through and, and making them understand that well, this is the full benefit of a QS instead of. Them sitting there negotiating and beating up subcontractors because that's not what it's about. Yeah, a lot more involved. You can go if you if you get the knowledge sitting down at a table. I'll, I'll add something onto this as well. So sitting down at the table and negotiating something 
and actually having more knowledge than the guy across the table is so it's so empowering. Yeah. My old boss Graham said to me when I was a young boy, he used to be really, really smart and wear flash suits and the best shirts. And he said, Andy, if I walk into that room, I'm the best dressed. Mm-hmm. I'm starting the be- I'm starting best in that room. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it did, and it's resonated with me. And I try and I try and do that. And I go to meetings, and I always wear a flower and my lapel and my suits and things, and and everybody comments on it. So you go in that room, and, and you've got that air of, of power right away, and and, and learn. So that that gave me a bit of learning. Well, I think that that's a that's a perfect way to way to end this, Andy. Thanks for for taking the time out. What if if anyone's looking to get in touch with you? What what's the best way? Is it is it LinkedIn? Is it email or yeah, if they just message me on LinkedIn, I mean, um, I'm not picky on uh, if people come in and, and send me a, a, a like request, I'm, I'm not overzealous at saying no to people. Yeah. I'll always look at the profile before I do, but there's just a lot of uh, fake profiles on there. Oh, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, um, if they come in and send me a, a request, I'm 99% of the time, I'll, if they're a real person, I'll, I'll accept it and send me a message. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for, for doing that today, for being on, on Made to Measure and all the best with, with everything in the future. Thank you, Mick. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to Made to Measure. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast. This is the only podcast in the world that focuses on the niche area of construction costing. Therefore, as an independent podcast, Your support is invaluable. Please like, share, screenshot, give a review, or just tell your friends and colleagues about the show. The more people that know about the podcast, the better the guests that we can bring to you, the better the content you will consume. Thank you for joining me. I'm Mick Donaghy, and this was Made to Measure.